This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome everybody. It is the Wednesday edition of Talkback. It's Wednesday, February 7th. And Talkback this morning is brought to you by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and Accessories and Service. No matter how cold it might get, uh, they have everything you need to make sure your rig starts every single time. They're located at Palmer and West Broadway. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and Service. Phillips Janitorial, offering both uh, uh, professional cleaning for your home and for your business. Hey, no job is too big or small, so just pick up the phone give them a call today 406-260-6617 why west storage is out at the y uh, two smokes way if you're looking for 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 storage as, we, as spring is going to be eventually on the way you need to, to store some stuff give them a call for availability at 406-510-0590 why west they're making room for you. And also brought to you by Harrington Surgical Supply, where their mission remains the same, to restore confidence and comfort into your daily life. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Hey, welcome aboard, everybody. Glad to have you along. This is uh, TalkBack. It's, uh, well, we have a special guest coming up into the studio here in just a few minutes. Courtney's going to be joining us for the battle to beat cancer. And uh, we'll be talking about that here in just a few minutes. But... For the next few precious minutes, it's open phones. So if there's something going on uh, that you'd like people to know about or uh, you'd like to talk about, you just give us a call at 721-1290. First of all, that's Mr. Nick right over there. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Nick Christensen. All right. Now, my wife said she drove past Linda Vista yesterday. Oh, oh yeah. And there were people out whacking balls on the... Driving range? On the driving range. Oh, yeah. So, yep, yeah. They're open. They've been open for about a week or so now. Wow. A little over a week, yeah. And and uh, we, we had dinner at their little cafe, and there's a sign on their fence that's saying there is a new physical therapy uh, uh, outfit moving into that little area that uh, now, I think now houses their miniature golf course. So, oh, anyway, interesting. Just just some stuff going on <laughs> in in our little neighborhood. So, <laughs> interesting. Let's <laughs> like keep track. Anyway, so uh, what's on your mind out there this morning, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, uh, I, I were we supposed to have some snow uh, in the last couple of, uh, yesterday and today? And because I was watching the uh, the news last night, I said, oh, there might be some snow in the Missoula Valley in the next day or so. Well, I'm a looking, <laughs> but I'm not a seeing. So. Yeah, no, I honestly, I I'd tell you, I'm terrible about tracking the weather. It's, it's unless I'm forced to do it. Other, I mean, I I typically don't pay attention because, you know, I never know if it's going to be right, going to be wrong. I just kind of look out the window that day and be like, oh, okay, you know, and see if there's uh in the morning if there's a bunch of snow on my car that yeah, I got to clear off. Exactly, you know, that type of thing. I'm just looking. To, it says here there was a winter weather advisory in effect from last night at seven until this morning at eleven. So I, I think we're good. I think we're in the clear. I didn't even have frost on my windshield this morning. Yeah. So it was, oh man. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was. It's pretty clear out there. Yeah. I. I, I know. It's. It, and 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 you. You and I are both kindred spirits in the fact that we're not big. Uh, big snow. Uh, snow lovers. No. So. Um, but even so. <laughs> even so, it's getting just a little bit spooky out there. Yeah. And uh, uh, I talked to Peter Kolb. He's actually going to be on next. 
Friday. Okay. Um, you're actually going to be gone that whole week, so I guess we should let people know that. Yes. Um, but speaking of Peter Kolb, he's going to kind of talk all about that and, and climate change specifically. And, uh, yeah, he's going to. he says he's going to get people fired up. So wow. Hopefully we can talk a little bit about more of that on Friday, but um, maybe I should come back early. You, you can if you want. Totally up to you. But that um, that Monday, so Monday next week, we are both going to be gone. Um, but then, uh, yeah, we will still have the show Tuesday through Friday next week, even though you will not be here. Wow. So, yep. Wow. Yeah. Go, Nick, go. Oh, yeah. Whoop-dee. So, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Nick Christensen yeah. will be hosting Talkback. That'll be great. A little better than, I think, Armstrong and Getty. So, yeah, we could have done some best ofs, but I figured we'll uh, we'll just keep it going and scheduled some of our regular guests. Bob will be here a couple times. and. Yep. I think Walt will be <laughs> the other day. Normally, Walt would be on today, obviously, because right, right. this is the first Wednesday. But uh, he graciously moved back a week while preparing everybody's taxes since everyone can file now. So Yes. Yeah. Yes. And with that, we are up against our first break. We have a guest coming in the studio here in just a minute for the battle to beat cancer. Courtney Imhoff is going to be uh, joining us. So we're going to come right back uh, with that right after this. During... A chance of rain, snow, or freezing rain turning over to all rain or mixed rain and snow later in the day Wednesday. We may also see some areas of patchy fog, highs in the mid-30s, lows in the 20s. Little to no ice accumulations, but we could see up to half an inch of snow on the valley floors. The threat of snow showers will extend into Thursday, but again, not expecting much to stick in the valleys, although passes could see several inches. By Friday, we dry out with mostly cloudy skies. I'm Dennis Bragg in the Town Square Weather Center. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back, everybody. We have a special guest in the studio. Courtney Imhoff is joining us this morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you today? The battle to beat cancer. It's almost here. Well, yes. the deadline to enter is almost here. Okay. All yes. right. So now, what, what specifically, you're here today to appeal to our vast audience. Absolutely. <laughs> what, 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 what's the message for today? Today, we're talking about making sure that people know that you have eight more days okay. to enter the show. So we are looking for dancers, mm -hmm. singers, bands, and then we're looking for comedy. We're looking for businesses who want to battle each other in a lip sync battle. Wow. Um, we're thinking police officers versus firefighters or... Police. Nurses from community versus nurses from St. Pat. Yeah, that sounds good. We want all of these fun-loving Missoulians to enter mm -hmm. this battle to beat cancer. Our goal is to have 18 acts. We have so many talented acts that have entered already. Okay. But we are still looking to fill... And if you make the show, you have an opportunity to win $500 cash cool. all in right. each of those categories. Wow. And it's all for a great cause. It's all for Can't Make a Dream. Mm -hmm. So I explain it as if you dislike cancer, but you love to have fun, <laughs> this is the show that you should be in. You bet. All right. So, uh, 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 and so all we have to do, if we want to apply, yes. uh, it, uh, does it cost money to apply? Do absolutely we have to come up not. with a big fee? What no, How's absolutely work? not. We're okay. talking about filling out a form that takes about one minute. Okay. We need your name. We need a picture or a video if you want to submit a video of your talent. Mm -hmm. Um and that is literally it. And then we will contact you for some additional information. If you're a band, we'd love your social media handles. If you're a dance team, we'd love a couple videos. But we're not talking about anything spectacular. 
It takes about two minutes to fill out that form. All right. And, and of course, if, if you've always wanted to be a performer and you never really had the opportunity, this is an opportunity for you to break out and shine a little bit. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. We have a bunch of people, actually, that have entered um, that yeah, are kind of first time on the stage. You know, uh-huh. they're hidden talent. And we want that. We want, we want to showcase you. You all at the radio stations are being kind enough to promote them. We will include your social media handles. Cool. Which we, this event is actually replacing the lip sync battle that was running for five years. And right. that event sold out every single year. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about 800 people that come to watch the show. So if you're looking for people to be to recognize your talent or for, to get your name out there, this is a great opportunity to do that. And if you've always wanted to be on stage. Absolutely. This, Who this, doesn't this, want to be on stage? Especially at the Denison Theater. Uh, because that, that that is the hallowed ground, if you will, uh, for performing in Missoula. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We've been at the Denison for the last three years, and they're absolutely incredible. Um, but it is just something super fun for you to do for a cause. It's all for Can't Make a Dream. So all of the money that is raised through this event, through ticket sales, etc., it goes back to camp and camp is located out in Gold Creek and helps people who are going through cancer and and families who are going through cancer find hope and resilience and and get their power back. I, I, I remember the last time you guys were here, I, I was around. You were. <laughs> I was creaking around lo- long ago when, when when this Camp of Dream was a dream itself. Absolutely. And uh, my friend Dale Moore was one of, one of the big movers and shakers. Uh, back then he was Beeman McPhee uh, on, 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 our, on our other <laughs> I show. I love it. Yeah, and, and so uh, we had the opportunity to see the infancy of Camp Make a Dream. And now it, it's all grown up. It is. I mean, we have over 500 campers that come and visit that campus every year. And it is kids, adults, women, everyone that has... it's families who are going through it together. Right. Um, there's just a lot of power in being able to be surrounded by people who understand what you're going through um, to be able to get you to live beyond your diagnosis. And that's truly what it's all about. So this event makes that possible. It's a cost-free camp. Um, and so in order for us to get those 500 people here and feed them and um, make sure that they have all sorts of fun activities to do and speakers. It requires us to fundraise. You bet. So. And so that's that's what this fundraise. It's a fundraiser. Absolutely. For, for Camp Make a Dream. Now, I happen to know that there are, uh, I would say, hundreds, maybe thousands of people who are listening at work right now. And they're looking over the over the. Uh, over the, over the desk <laughs> over there, the cubicle? Oh, over the the, the the cubicle there, and say, hey, yeah, you you lip sync, don't you? Yeah, well, yeah, well, why don't we do this? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Then the answer is, we should. <laughs> you should. You should absolutely be doing it. We've had some incredible groups take the stage. We've had teachers. We have had community businesses. Um, we've had it all, and that's exactly what we want. We want mm-hmm. you to have fun with this. So. I say if you, 
you know, if you want to battle it out, this is the best way to do、yeah. it. You can come and have fun with the community. You can also win a cash prize. The I mean, singing CPAs. There is. <laughs> the, the, the dancing doctors. Yeah, we know there's a lot of hidden、okay. talent. The people that like to <laughs> sing in the shower, right? I mean, get out of the shower and get onto the stage. There you, there you go. The, the, the muscle bound mechanics. <laughs> I, I, whatever. Right,、yeah. exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so give us, give us how, how, we,、uh, how we apply and where do we go? And, and when and where the event is, once one more、Absolutely. time. Absolutely. So, in order to apply, you need to go to campdream.orgslash battle. You need to do that and enter that form by February 15th. The show itself is on March 30th at Denison Theater, and tickets will go on sale on February 15th. All right. And we only have eight days to apply. Eight more days. All right. It's always a pleasure having you. Thank you, you so Thank much you so for much. having us. We appreciate all you do. It's our, it's our pleasure and best of luck. And please keep us surprised of how things are going. We'll be back to announce who's on you, the show. You got it. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Courtney. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a little break. 721 1290 is our number. 1 800 We have open phones for another few minutes, and then we'll be joined by Dr. Patrick Barkey at 8 30. He'll be on with us from 8 30 until 10 from the University of Montana Bureau of Business and Economic Research. So we'll be back with Dave's call in a moment. I always wanted. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure.、Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes.、Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Did you get a call or message that mentioned Social Security that made you feel threatened or scared? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, press you for personal information, or demand instant payment. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. 
criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Don't fall for it. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to oig.ssa.gov. Reduced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Okay, we're back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. You have open phones here for about six more minutes. And then Dr. Patrick Barkey will be joining us. A couple of folks waiting on the line right now, though. It's Dave up first. Dave, good morning. Welcome. Hey, good morning. I'd like to talk about immigration for a minute. Uh, a lot of people call in all the time and say that the present president has uh, has a legal right laws on his side to shut down the border permanently. And I've done a lot of immigration uh, studying, and and I have a question. I want the I would like them the people to show me the law on the books that's been passed by Congress that allows the president to shut down the border permanently. And I just can't find it. Um, as far as the remain in Mexico policy that Donald Trump instituted, it was not a law that was written by Congress. That was a program devised by him to to keep people from coming into this country and was and was in litigation. And in my view, Biden made a mistake by not letting it go to the Supreme Court and ruling on it because, according to the laws I've read on on immigration, all right, uh, it was a it was a violation. All right, how how would you write that law? I would, I look at the law that they're writing that the that. Um, the Senate is looking at, that they can temporarily, it's not perfect, mind you, but they can actually, the president would be given the power to shut down the immigration from coming into this country when a certain number of people show up at the border. I mean, I'd probably lower it quite a bit, but but better a better a imperfect law than no law at all. All right, Dave, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. All right. Sure. Right, seven two one twelve ninety is our number. Let's get Charlie on the line. Hey, good morning, Charlie. You're on Talkback. It's open phone, sir. What's on your mind? Uh, morning. I got a segue off of what Dave just was talking about. Um, <clears throat> you know, regardless whether there's a law or not, and what Trump did was shut down the border, even if it was just temporary, you know, it, it's it, he, he did what he did, and it worked. And I would like, um, let's just use an example. You come home and your house is flooded and, you know, the p- water's pouring out of a pipe. And so what's the first thing you're going to do? Call a plumber. Wonder what you're going to do with the water? You know, <laughs> you're going to plug the hole first right. and then worry about the water. So it, it, it's, it, it's like Dave's ar- argument's almost illegitimate. You know, like I said, even if it's just a temporary fix, close it down, remain in Mexico, and then let's take it from there. But, you know, we really need to stop this uh, uncontrolled invasion of our country. You know, the military-aged men, I don't think it's a good sign that these people are coming in. But that's my Oh, all right, all right. Anyway. That sounds good, Charlie. Thanks, thanks for the call, sir. We appreciate it. Yeah, seven two seven two one twelve ninety is our number. One eight hundred five six eight five three zero nine. We have open phones. Another few minutes here, and I do believe we have Jeff on the line. Jeff, good morning. You're on Talkback. Go ahead, sir. Sure. Um, Dave asked about uh, what's the law that governs immigration. It's the Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1952. The specific section of the law is Section 212F. That gives the president the authority, and it has been incorporated as part of the U.S. Code 18, I believe it is. I don't have that in front of me now, but uh, it's Immigration Naturalization Act, 
1952, Section 212F. And now we know. Now, Thanks a lot. Now, now, hold on. Do you, do you happen to have that in front of you? Is is there like a preamble or uh, usually when you write a when there's a bill like that or a law like that, there's a saying, here's here's the statement that uh, that makes the bill legitimate. No, I don't have any of that. It's been it's been 71 years. I mean, <laughs> uh, 72 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been incorporated into the U.S. code. Typically, when a law is written, it gets it's kind of like Montana Code annotated. When they have a bill, it goes into the into the Montana Code annotated, and it gets paragraph numbers and different things. So, um, but you can you can if you do INA uh, Immigration Naturalization Act. Okay, I've got it here. I've got I've got it right here. I've got it right here. Um, I just uh, googled it. And the uh, cons- the concise uh, reduction is the Immigration and Nationality Act abolished quotas, opening the doors to those who can contribute most to this country, to its growth, to its strength, to its spirit. That's a quote. The new law created a preference system that focused on immigrants' skills and family relations with citizens or U.S. residents. And uh, that was, according to, uh, submitted by President John F. Kennedy. No, it was Eisenhower. Oh, it was, was it? The one. Okay. Yeah, Kennedy was in sixties. So. Okay. Okay, I've got I've got it right here. Okay, the 1952 Immigration and Nationality Act removed the contract labor restriction, introducing employment-based preferences for immigrants with economic potential, skills, and education. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to get to that uh, actual section to read it out loud in verbatim. It's not very long. Um, it basically says what the president can and can't do. And uh, let me bring it up here real quick. Okay. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States... He may by proclamation and for such period as he deems necessary suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. All right. Sounds good. So basically, President President Biden could find that uh, illegal immigrants are detrimental to the United States interest of the United States, and he could uh, bar their entry for whatever period he wanted to. He has the power in the law. That's a problem. It's kind of like what Rob Nadelson says. You know, the Second Amendment says, shall not be infringed. Says, well, we could write laws that say, shall really, 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 really not be infringed. (laughs) Okay. All right, Jeff. We're... But it's pointless because the law is right what it is. All right, so, sorry, Jeff. Thanks for the call. Uh, uh, we're. Uh, you want to take one more call, Nick? It's up to you. Okay, let, let's it's take one you. more call before we get to Patrick. Uh, Joe, real quickly, we we're up against a break. What's your question or your comment, sir? Yeah, Al Sharpton said that uh, the immigration problem is an invasion. Yesterday, um, there's so many things in this bill. I think there's twelve instances where it says at the discretion in that bill any adjudication of any disputes in that bill would force the uh, the legal matter to go to the u.s uh the district court in uh, washington dc and uh, it would have to be handled in the most liberal district in the country and 
uh, you know, uh, this uh, Langford guy is in big trouble in uh, in Louisiana. He's a liar. And, uh, well, Joe Biden's a liar, too. Okay. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's treasonous, uh, the kind of lying that's going on, in my opinion. And uh, we don't need a bill, as Jeff just said. The, the power's already there. So All right. they're trying to smoke us. All right. Thanks for the call, Joe. We, we're overdue for a break. And Dr. Patrick Barkey is joining us here in the studio this morning uh, from the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. Lots to talk about with Patrick. And of course, the phone's line, phone lines will be open if you have a question for him as well. So we're coming right back after this timeout. A chance of rain, snow, or freezing rain turning over to all rain or mixed rain and snow later in the day Wednesday. We may also see some areas of patchy fog, highs in the mid-30s, lows in the 20s. Little to no ice accumulations, but we could see up to half an inch of snow on the valley floors. The threat of snow showers will extend into Thursday, but again, not expecting much to stick in the valleys, although passes could see several inches. By Friday, we dry out with mostly cloudy skies. I'm Dennis Bragg in the Town Square Weather Center. Okay, we are back. This is Talk Back, and we are privileged to have with us Dr. Patrick Markey at the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research, fresh off a successful program in Missoula just last night, right? No, last night was Kalispell. Oh, Kalispell, okay. But that was the seventh in uh, two and a half weeks. Okay, so how did, how so, did, it, how, how has it been going? Pretty well. Uh, I, I guess we, I've given talks now to over 1,500 people. <laughs> okay. And uh, it's good for your ego when you sit up there and everybody listens to you. I don't know what they say about you afterwards, but... Uh, well, they clap, no, obviously. It's, a, it's actually a, a good chance to get around the state and learn what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if I could only retain it and, and process it, but... Uh, now, for, the, for those who missed our last time together, what was the focus of the seminar this year? Uh, the theme was the green energy transition. Right. And the take we put on that was, what will it take for these ambitious goals being announced to actually happen. So we uh, say I had some words on that. We had uh, our friends at Northwestern Energy had some words on that. We had a, a lunch panel with the DEQ mm-hmm. and with uh, Sabania Stillwater Mining. And uh, so we got, uh, you know, some sound bites out of that. We got some analysis. Of course, we had lots of graphs and discussion. Um and happy to dive into that at any level you want. I please, mean, uh, please do. We're in, trying, in, in lieu of calls, we'll, well, we'll talk about anything you want. Um, quite honestly, the reason why we chose that particular theme is not because we're either zealots or skeptics. It's simply because not enough people were talking about what it would really take to get there. So uh, several observations. I mean, the first is that it's extremely aggressive uh, schedule. Uh, that is envisioned for the green energy transition, unlike any transition we've ever had in human history. it's uh, It has to be a complete transition in the sense that it's not enough to simply have green energy be dominant. It has to be complete. I mean, it has to be no coal, no fossil, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, so we got into that, and uh, I'll give you just one tidbit out of that. So when you look at uh, everything that's implied by the green energy transition, at least as we know it today, uh, to replace our sources of energy today, uh, you know, the the demands for minerals, just to focus on just that one aspect, the demand for minerals, everything from copper, lithium, cobalt, molybdenum, and every, every kind of element you can think of, uh, they skyrocket. So, in fact, if we're going to meet the goals of green energy, we need to roughly double global copper production. In other words, produce twice as much copper in 11 years 
than the world has ever produced before. Uh, that's an implication of that. Uh, that's actually doable. Uh, it's not all production. I mean, re- recycling is part of it. But um, the implication of all of this is that if we're going to actually retool the entire infrastructure of energy as it exists today, we need to build a lot of stuff. <laughs> now, now, let me, I, I, the thing that first jumped into my mind is what, when you said that is uh, the environmental uh, wing, the environmental lobby has been saying, oh my gosh, we need to go green. We need to get rid of coal. We need to do all this stuff. But in order to make that happen, mining is going to have to be at the top of the list and environmental groups are totally opposed to mining. So uh, aren't they cutting their own throats uh, by, by saying, well, I, uh, you're, going to have to, you're going to have to go to the moon to get this stuff because we're not going to let you get it out of the United States. Well, it's, you know, it, at the very least, it's incompatible. Uh, there's a couple things. First off, uh, the U.S., as we learned at our, at our means, you know, Montana really doesn't do much mining anymore. You know, there's only a couple miners of any scale in the state. Uh, and for that matter, the U.S. doesn't do a lot of mining anymore. But here's the kicker. Uh, for, for the green energy transition to be successful, it has to be global. It has to happen everywhere. All countries have to do this. And so currently our mineral needs are increasingly satisfied from imports from other places. Some of those places don't follow the same kind of, you know, um, smart practices that today's miners are doing. So you have places like the Congo and Russia and so forth. Uh, so don't forget I, China. Yeah, of course. And uh, so my, my point would be that if it's going to be global, they're going to need their own copper, you know. Uh, so it's. It, I don't want to be real. I don't want to simplify this too much. I mean, I think there's reasons to be optimistic about this, but there are clearly uh, some incompatible agendas, particularly when you look at the speed at which people think that we need to proceed. I think uh, another take on that, and it's hard to get all this five-hour program into mm-hmm. a couple of sound bites here. Right, I'm, right. I'm doing my best, but another thing that's pretty clear is that in order to build the things that we need to build to replace our fossil fuel energy, that building itself requires energy. So a lot of people like to look at, well, gee, it takes a lot of energy to build this, to build that. Well, that's true, you know. And so the implication is not that we need fossil fuels forever, but we do need uh, fossil fuel-fired energy just to be able to build the things that we need. In fact, we may even be able to we may need to continue to develop our fossil fuel energy sources and 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 but still be 100% committed to green energy transition so again we didn't take a point of view that this was good or this was bad we're just trying to unpack it a little bit that's all and with that we uh, the phone lines are open if you have a question or comment this is fascinating and uh, to me it, it uh, I, my head is spinning trying to figure out how we're going to do all this. So if you have a question or comment uh, for Dr. Patrick Barkey, he's here in the studio to talk with you. Uh, 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Or you can use the KGVO app. We'll be back right after this. Suck it up. It's not a big deal. Snap out. Just get over it. We've all heard it. But if you're experiencing extreme stress, it's not just in your head. It can affect your entire body because toxic stress can hurt us physically without us even knowing it. If you've lost a job, worry about your next meal, or have trouble making it through the day, if you're feeling the effects of stress, we can help. Text STRESS 
to 211-211 to find a solution. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back, everybody. Good to have you along this morning. Uh, Dr. Patrick Barkey, our special guest in the studio from the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. And Joe has been waiting through the break to talk with you. So, Joe, good morning. You're on with Patrick. Go ahead, please. Thank you. I'm uh, concerned about the national debt, and I was a little surprised at the conversation you had with Harry the last time you were on, how optimistic you were, because as far as I can tell, uh, the statistics are showing that people are underwater on their, their car loans. They're way over their heads on credit card debt. Uh, we're spending 30%, I believe, 30% more on borrowing at the federal level than we do on the, uh, than the GDP produces. And, of course, we have a trillion in interest. That's 20% of our, of our holy, whole uh, national situation, you know. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I look at the uh, president of Argentina when he, I don't know if you guys saw this, but he had that board with all the little clips on it, and he started pulling them off and throwing them. So I would, I would uh, abolish the Department of Education, Homeland Security, and the uh, FISA courts would be uh, three on the top of my list. In, in order to save and, money, is, uh, is, that, is that it? Yeah, yeah, because the spending's out of control. And, oh, by the way, Jerome Powell, I believe, is the head of the Fed. And he yesterday said that uh, normally he doesn't get involved in fiscal issues because that's Congress's bailiwick. And his, he's supposed to work on interest rates and things like that. But he said, we've got to get some fiscal sanity together and, uh, and work on this debt because we're in trouble. We're over our head to where we won't be able to pay it back. And he did mention that our grandchildren will be stuck with it. I think he used that terminology. Joe, so, thank, thank, thank you for the call. Dr. Barkey, you. uh, your thoughts on that, sir? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm maybe I'm a little more optis, optimistic than you are, Joe. But, I'm, but I don't. I wouldn't re- describe myself as optimistic. Uh, there is a whole spectrum of people. First off, I'm going to talk about federal government debt. So you brought in consumer debt, and uh, you brought in some other issues. And I agree, those are important issues. But I'm just to keep the comments a little more focused. Just talking about federal debt. So I was driving down the road the other day, listening to Paul Krugman. And Paul Krugman is is kind of blasé about it, and, and some other economists are as well. You know, they're they're. I, I I couldn't really describe the reasoning why that is. Um, I am I am less, uh, shall we say, um, blasé. I can't come up with a better word at the moment about it. Um, the the interest payments on the debt they're not a trillion, but they're close. And in fact, you can get close to a trillion if you include the amount of interest that is due to the Federal Reserve itself, which is. Uh, a payment that uh, we really don't have to make <laughs> because that's uh, that's just two halves of the same government. But it's it's I'm I'm not discounting what you're saying at all. I I do not think, however, that the path to reform of the debt. Oh, let me say another thing: the fact that the chair Fed Powell uh, said something about Congress's uh, you know appetite for deficit spending, spending which has been enormous. Uh, that is their bailiwick. I mean, every other Fed chair has always weighed in on these kinds of issues. Uh, Greenspan and 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 his predecessors, uh, you know, Paul Volcker. 
I mean, they 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 recognize that they're 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 the only voice of sanity that's looking at this. So the fact that Powell it took Powell so long to even get involved in this discussion is is quite disappointing. Uh, now that he finally is, thank God. But look at all the debt we've rung up. Not that he could have stopped it, but at least he he didn't have to look like he was signing off on it. You know, right. which uh, so I think the um, the solution to debt is going to be two two uh, twofold. Uh, the first is taxes, and the second is revenues, and the revenues. I think your suggestions are fine. Uh, you could debate it or whatever, but it's not going to move the needle very much. What's going to move the needle is reforming entitlements, and it's just got to be done uh, because it's not only today's debt, it's future debt for those commitments. So reforming entitlements and uh, and raising taxes, quite frankly, uh, those are the two things. Now, the two, the two biggies with entitlements are Social Security and Medicare. Yeah, definitely. Well, there are other entitlements, too. I mean, it's health care overall. Mm-hmm. Right. There's, there's everything from veterans care to disabled, you name it. But uh, uh, so of the two, uh, Social Security is probably the easiest to fix. Uh, how, how is it easiest to fix? Well, it's, it's, it's simply an imbalance. By re- reducing payments? It's an imbalance. Well, it's, yeah. it's maybe conditioning payments, okay. uh, conditioning payments on an income basis. It's uh, not escalating the payments as fast. Um, it's maybe making payments a little bit more uh, with relation to what you've paid in. Uh there, there are a lot more more fundamental reforms I could suggest for Social Security. They all seem to be dead on arrival, but nothing has been proposed. I mean, no one even talks about it. So it's 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 uh, it's it's amazing. It it can't go on forever, and when it stops, it's going to be a big shock. Well, from what I under, what I understand is is uh, uh, visiting with people who have been elected office, they they all steer clear of that because. Uh, the, the the third rail of politics is messing with those things because it's a sure way to get yourself unelected or not reelected. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the fact that uh, Congress has a reelection rate of whatever it is, 92 percent, 95 percent, something like that, is not one of the tremendous accomplishments of our American <laughs> democracy. OK, uh, a tremendous accomplishment would be managing the resources of the country for the public good. Right. And if that means completely ignoring, hiding your head in the sand on, on problems are building in plain sight, I, I don't know what to say. Yeah, we, 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 we've kicked the can down the road right. so often we have a whole junkyard waiting for us. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, in terms of health care, it's a little longer yeah. explanation. But yeah. uh, Okay. Well, we're up against a break. Phone lines are open. If you have a question for Dr. Patrick Barkey from the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research, uh, please give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we're coming right back after this timeout. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. Uh, 721-1290 is our number. We have about, oh, seven minutes or so before we have to take our top of the hour break. Dr. Patrick Markey joining us here in the studio this morning from the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. And Charles is waiting with a question. So, Charles, please go ahead, sir. Yes, uh, I'd like to ask Dr. Markey what the net result, positive or negative, was of the Trump trade uh, tariffs that he put on China and Mexico during his administration. And this is on with regard to Montana only. Okay, first off, the honest answer is I don't know for Montana only. Uh, typically, trade statistics are not kept on a state level. So I'll, I'll do my best. I think the, uh, the impact on... Uh, manufacturing growth. I mean, in other words, if, if the idea was that the dumping of cheap products in the U.S. markets was hurting U.S. manufacturers, the impact on manufacturing job growth, I think, has been 
unmeasurable. I mean, it's been very, very small. Uh, I think the impact on prices has been uh, more significant. Uh, I think the uh, I think uh, I think it's been a net negative, quite frankly. But you know, it it it, uh, it has both a national security and an economic uh, uh, objective. I think the economic objective has uh, is, is, is not been successful. Uh, by the way, it also has a political objective. I'm not even going to go there. Uh, but I don't think it's been very effective policy. I think the, the most benign thing you can say about tariffs is that uh, if they get up to 5 or 10% tariffs, uh, they don't do too much damage. And what I mean by that is that they don't escalate prices. Of course, when you have a tariff that gives domestic producers an opportunity to raise their own prices because the competition is now paying 10% more. So there's room to, and that hurts consumers. So I think the evidence is that uh, modest tariffs, uh, not too much damage. Uh, certainly the size of tariffs he's talking about on the campaign trail are pretty scary uh, to me. Um, I shouldn't use that word. Everybody uses that word about Trump. But I, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, they're likely to be significantly more uh, impact. And I, I, I think they'd be negative impacts. But I'm an economist. Uh, I believe that uh, trade that's willingly carried out from two parties makes both better off. And when you get in the way of that, uh, you know, there's an economic cost. Maybe from a geopolitical point of view or for political point of view, it's a good thing, but not for the economy. Well, thank you very much. Charles, Charles, thanks for the call. Yeah, I I, I think when it comes to things like that, uh, uh, there's an old saying, uh, man proposes, Allah disposes, right? I, and and so when, when it comes to legislation, you can propose legislation, you can write all the bills you want, but Congress has to pass them and the president has to sign them. Well, that's the way we learned it in civics class, Peter, <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you the reality and is, am I, is am that being the... Mr. Uh, Mr. Naive here? Uh, the reality is, is it's the agencies that actually write the bills. Congress passes a law called the Inflation Reduction Act. Oh, yeah. Doesn't define anything. Because there's a, gi- a gigantic SATA sack full of stuff, right? Well, you'd think that, but yeah. actually it's just, it's like a, it's like giving the painter the canvas, right? right? And then it's the regulatory agency says, oh, this is how we're going to implement it. And that's the actual writing of the bill. If, I mean, if you ask me, mm-hmm. uh, at least. Uh, so I think the, uh, the, what I would call the fourth branch of government uh, kind of gets into that whole mix. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and quite often, uh, the president has enormous power because a lot of the bills in the past have been written to give the president the power, particularly in international affairs, which, which, where tariffs come in, gives the president the power to invoke emergencies, to invoke all kinds of various things, and uh, to make administrative decisions that uh, you and I thought were part of bills. And they are part of bills. But And then the courts get involved in terms of how much power regulation, regulatory agencies can have and whether, you know, all that sort of thing. And I'm not going to go there either because I'm not a lawyer. But all I will say is that I wish it were just as you described, but I fear it's a little different. All right. Well, we're up against uh, wait, what, just a minute left in, in our, our time together for this hour. Then another hour standing by with Dr. Patrick Markey, uh, director of the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. I want to hear more about this, the economic seminars that uh, you've been conducting across the state uh, in our next hour, in, in addition to all sorts of things. Because we, what we really want is phone calls from you folks. If you have a, a question about Montana's economy, the nation's economy, uh, big, give us a call. We'll put you in the queue. 
and we'll get you on with Dr. B- uh, Dr. Barkey right after the top of the hour break. Phone number 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. Of course, we uh, appreciate it if you would download and use the KGVO app. Uh, there's a message us button on that app. Uh, you just type in what you'd like to, to, uh, to ask. Uh, push the send button, and uh, Nick will pass that along to Dr. Barkey. It's just that simple. Just another way to communicate with our guests as they're here on Talkback. Again, thanks for joining us. Uh, I will be right back after the top of the hour uh, it, uh, from 9 to 10 with Dr. Patrick Barkey from the University of Montana. So stay with us. Um, you'll... This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's hour number two of the Wednesday, February 7th edition of Talk Back. I brought to you this morning by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it might get, Gomer's has everything you need to make sure your rig starts every single morning. They're located at Palmer and West Broadway, Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and Service. Also brought to you by Harrington Surgical Supply. You can feel confident in Harrington Surgical Supply's discreet and knowledgeable guidance on a multitude of products and medical supplies. Uh, Phillips Janitorial, residential and commercial cleaning, no job too big or small, and of course, satisfaction guaranteed. Here's their number, 406-260-6617 and by West Storage out at the Y. If you'd like to find out if they have a storage facility for you, give them a call, 406-510-0590 because at West, we're making room for you. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Hey, we are back, and we're privileged to have with us for another hour Dr. Patrick Barkey uh, from the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. And uh, I know one of the things we had a chance to talk about uh, during the first part, uh, the first half hour of uh, you being with us, was the seminars that have been going on throughout the state. Now, uh, are you still doing, or is it is it wrapped up now, or... Well, we do the seven larger urban areas, which we just finished up with Kalispell yesterday. All right. Uh, We take a little bit of a break, and then we go into some of the smaller communities on a rotating basis. This uh, year's communities are Lewistown and Haver. That'll happen mid-March. So uh, we we like to think that the snow will recede and so forth. (laughs) Of course, this year, we probably could have left uh, yesterday to go to those places. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, and those those are fun events. Of course, the economy changes, you know. As you talk, so you're you're prepared to talk. You have to rip up sometimes. And well, now and, now I, I would imagine some of those locations are more rural, uh, and there's a lot more agricultural interest than perhaps in a, a county like Missoula, where there's more business right. and that sort of thing. So now, do you tailor them for those communities, or, or are you, obviously you're ready for those questions? Yeah, we 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 have a whole spectrum of speakers, and uh, you know, in some communities, certain speakers like our ag speaker is a rock star. Uh, when they, when they go to Lewistown, definitely, and and our wood products person is a rock star when we're in Kalispell, kind of thing. But uh, we do have uh, uh, a local segment of our program, and I will say, uh, you know, you go to a community like Lewistown, and there's a lot going on there. You know, I mean, they got this big German manufacturer, Vacom, coming in. They're building housing. I mean, it, it's like a it's like a, a, a big explosion in that community to think that they would have successfully recruited that kind of employer and beat out some of the larger communities mm-hmm. uh, to do that. So that's uh, it's amazing. Everybody wants to know how they did it. 
Uh, and of course, Haver has, has got its own vibe, you know, with respect to what's going on with the university there, what's going on with border security. I mean, there's a lot of, and, and of course, all the stuff going on with the uh, Golden Triangle area. So it's uh, not to mention the tribal issues up there. So um, there's there's a lot of variability. Our program, uh, we try to find that common denominator. I mean, obviously we we fly over the economy from thirty thousand feet. We're right. not gonna right. we're not gonna come into a community and tell them how their economy, you know, what's going on. They know much better than we right. do. Right. But we're scorekeepers. So it's uh, it is it has been an interesting message this year. Uh, the last two and a half years have been not not been normal um, by any stretch of the imagination, and 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 we're we're showing up and telling folks that we're going to have normal growth uh, in the coming year, and that shocks them because it seems really low uh, compared to where we've been the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily the most popular person in town <laughs> when I come to a Helena or a or a Butte or something, and I say, well, you're going to grow at about one and a half percent. And it's like what you know, I you know we're used to three four percent exactly, right. and of course we quantify these things and try to tell people what they mean. But uh, so that it's been interesting, uh, and I think it'll it'll be interesting heading up there. We like those events in the smaller communities because they're smaller size audience, uh, much more conversational. Uh, we come to a Bozeman or a Missoula. There's 300 people in the room. You feel like the Wizard of Oz up there talking sometimes. Uh, Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Exactly. One of my favorite movie lines. Isn't that, uh, it sticks with you, doesn't it? Yep, but, yep. Uh, yeah, but you have that feeling. But uh, So we enjoy going to all the communities, but uh, the smaller ones are, are, are really cool. Now, do you, uh, obviously, uh, you come in with a set program, but I know that uh, the individuals will have their own questions, and then the experts will step forward and give whatever answers they can. Is that how it works? As much as we can. I mean, in Lewistown, it's been pretty interesting because the person asking the question is about 10 feet in front of you. Right. And, uh, you know, they look you right in the eye and it's a whole different kind of thing, you know? So, uh, yeah, it, it, it depends on what's going on. Um, I think, you know, in every community, there's, there's, there's hot button issues. I mean, my gosh, we just got back in a flathead. You talk about lake levels. I mean, that is an intense discussion going on up there. And you tread lightly on it, you know. And then we have property tax issues around the state, and uh, people are still uh, people are still untangling inflation. They hear that inflation's going down. They say, "What do you mean? The uh, grocery store is still expensive." And you know, we're up there saying, "Well, you know, when inflation goes down, it doesn't mean prices are going down." And they kind of click, and they get that right. So it helps them. Well, you're, you're going to you're going to have to explain it to me because uh, uh, when when I hear inflation's going down, I expect to go to the store and pay less for a loaf of bread. Uh, inflation is the growth in prices, so inflation is zero, and you know it's just as a theoretical matter, as a matter of arithmetic. If inflation is zero, then that bread is going to be just as expensive tomorrow as it is today, but no more. Okay, that's that's zero inflation. So zero inflation. I mean, my gosh, it. Uh, so let me just give you an example of that, the accumulation of prices. So currently prices today are about 80% higher than they were in 2000. That's not that long ago. 80% higher. That's what prices are. So your salary in 2000, et cetera, you know, you can get all the computations. All right. In 2019, they were only 50% higher. So just think about that. Going through COVID, we've got now 30 more, 30 more percentage points, right? Uh, and that, and that's, of course, that's what we see. That's that we see our budgets gobbled up. Uh, you know, we did get a little more money in there too, uh, but we, that money didn't go as far. So 
Uh, but yeah, that's that's one of the points that we make. And so prices go higher and stay higher. Generally, yeah, the, the prices going down is called deflation, and there are some economies that have deflation, but not many, and that's its own problem. Uh, you know, the, the new term is disinflation, which is really confusing. I mean, all that means is that the inflation rate is going down. And it's not zero, by the way. Inflation is nowhere near zero. It's, you know, we're running around 3%, depending on how you count it. But at the beginning of last year, it was running over 6%. So you have to admit that even though it's not exactly what you want right. for prices to come back down, it's a heck of a lot better if they're only going at 3 than when they're going at 6. We're up against a break. 721-1290 is our number, our guest. And uh, you can tell this guy knows his stuff. It's Dr. Patrick Barkey, uh, Director of the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. We're up against a break. Cody will get his call, and we have several other phone lines open. If you have a question or comment, we'd love to hear from you. He'll be here with us till 10 o'clock, back after this. You want the best... A chance of rain, snow, or freezing rain turning over to all rain or mixed rain and snow later in the day Wednesday. We may also see some areas of patchy fog, highs in the mid-30s, lows in the 20s. Little to no ice accumulations, but we could see up to half an inch of snow on the valley floors. The threat of snow showers will extend into Thursday, but again, not expecting much to stick in the valleys, although passes could see several inches. By Friday, we dry out with mostly cloudy skies. I'm Dennis Bragg in the Town Square Weather Center. Hey, we're back. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday edition of Talk Back. I'm Peter Christian. Nick Christensen is taking your phone calls, producing Talk Back, as he does every day. Uh, let's get Cody on the line. Cody, good morning. You're on with Dr. Barkey. Go ahead, please. Yeah, good morning, uh, Mr. Barkey. Thank you so much for coming on the program like you do for us. Uh, I, I, but you said something I just want to make sure everybody, everybody hears is, all this misinformation you're telling because the government told us this inflation is transitory. <laughs> well, it wasn't just the government. It was a lot of economists uh, said the same thing. Is that, I don't think it was... Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that's the same people that told you that the, the real fix for government ho- for the housing prices is, is more government programs because, of course, the government knows more than a professor of the economy. But anyway, I just I had to throw that out there because... I know a lot of people that are still waiting for the inflation and the prices to come back down since the government said it was transitory. Thanks for taking my call. Okay, thanks, thanks for the call, Cody. Appreciate that. Well, I, I tell you this, I, I would have a little, maybe a little more sympathy than, than, I'm not saying, I don't know how much sympathy you have, but I'd have a little more sympathy because everything involves a forecast, right? And as someone that's in the forecast business, you got to give people a little bit of rope because forecasts are often wrong, right? And you try to learn from them, make a better forecast. So, yeah, I mean, the transitory forecast is uh, now, now, by the way, some people are now saying it was right all along, right? <laughs> because now we got inflation rates coming down. See, it was transitory. Well, yeah, it took. You wait long enough, right? Yeah, wait, wait long enough, right? Exactly. So, uh, but, you know, the it wasn't just that they said it was transitory, they said it was transitory because, all right? And the reasoning. Uh, you know, it was reasonable reasoning. It was, it was saying, well, it's all due to supply. So it's supply disruptions, you know, all these ships couldn't go and all these countries were, were using, you know, all, all, the, all the issues involving COVID. And well, so if you forth. remember, the, the ships would come into the harbor and there was nobody to unload them. And so the ships oh, yeah. were backing up and da-da-da-da, oh, yeah. Oh, they, they were real. I mean, right. they did definitely did contribute. So that was the thought of why it was transitory. Now the folks who are coming back out of their out of their tomb, shall we say, and 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 re uh, 
re-opening re, um, this idea that it was transitory are saying, well, it just took longer for those supply chain things to be worked out than we thought. So uh, the argument will never end. I mean, this this doesn't really settle it. Uh, I, I, I will say this, uh, you know, trying to have a balanced view of this. There are some people, uh, Larry Summers comes to mind, who are now taking criticism for being too pessimistic about, about inflation, about saying, you know what, uh, these people, these, these Larry Summers types people said, well, we're really going to have to just really just squeeze the knot tight. And it's going to be really tough going for the economy to get this inflation under control. And, you know, we came down from six point something to three point something inflation in one year. And now it's those people who are a little bit on the defensive for saying, well, you told us it would, it would have to get a lot tougher. And this looks like kind of a Goldilocks deal here, right? I mean, we still have low unemployment, all this sort of stuff. So these kind of arguments will never stop. And I will say this, and that is that uh, forecasters always will be wrong. Uh, but you'll find one that's right. And I, I will tell you this. The ones that are that are right get too much credit for being right, just as the ones that are wrong get too much criticism for being wrong, because it can go either way. I mean, you have smart forecasts making good, uh, smart forecasters making good predictions, and vice versa. You bet. All right, let's get. Uh, I believe Joe is waiting to visit with you. Joe, good morning. You're on with Doctor Barkey. Go ahead, please. Yeah, so I was surprised to hear your. Uh uh, if I'm misstating this, but uh, that you are a fan of Paul Krugman. And uh, the, I guess I wanted a clarification of something you said because I'm confused. You said that one branch of the government, I believe, is borrowing from another and so that they don't, really don't have to pay it back. Something to that effect. I, correct me if I'm wrong. But to me, if you don't pay it back, if you if you uh, don't, uh, if you, uh, like Biden, taking away the debt on student loans, let's say, and saying, well, we'll just write it off. Doesn't that depreciate the value of the currency? That because if, if you don't have to pay back your bills, then what's the dollar worth? That's, that's the kind of the way I see it in my simplistic mind. So have at it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Okay. I'll take a crack at that. I got to remember your second. I'll answer your first <laughs> one about Krugman. Oh, yeah. Paul Krugman's a smart guy. I mean, uh, Paul Krugman... Uh, the research he did, uh, especially in the 90s, on uh, uh, industrial, I mean, he's, he, there, there's an amazing number of that guy's ideas which have been used, picked up by other people and, and uh, gone a long ways with it. He kind of turned into more of a, a pundit after he got his Nobel. And, uh, you know, you still listen to what the guy says, but he does have a lot of, uh, he's become a lot more inflammatory uh, over the years, and that's uh, that's unfortunate because it's kind of uh, obscured that he's a smart guy and he knows a lot of stuff, but uh, he just he's got a lot more combative, and it's uh, it's harder to uh, to react to him intellectually now because he's he's out there on so many issues. So I'll just leave it at that. Maybe he just got tired of getting beaten up and said, "Hey, I'm just going to stiffen a little <laughs> bit and say, hey, I, I I know what I'm talking about." Well, I don't I don't know I I, I don't. <laughs> I think you know it's kind of I'm I, I'm not I'm not even remotely in that league, but I'll just say that's that's my observation. So, uh, do I always go out of my way to listen to what he says? Well, actually, not so much anymore, because uh, unfortunately he's gotten he's gotten really tilted politically. I think, and you almost know what he's going to say. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, his reasoning and and his observations uh, 
are not. I mean, you, you, he's got he's got facts on his side many times. So I, I don't ignore him definitely. Uh, with respect to what's going on to uh, the debt and not paying it, listen. I mean, um, so let's look at it this way: if if you've got a kid that owes you money and they don't pay, uh, what does it do to that kid's credit rating? The answer is nothing. All right, credit card company doesn't know that the kid didn't pay you back. Uh, you're out the money, etc. Uh, but if you don't make a house payment or you don't make a credit card payment yourself, you're in a world of hurt because that's a third party. So that's the sense in which uh, – so the Federal Reserve has been buying government bonds for a while. They've stopped now or they slowed down. I'm not sure what the pace is at the moment. But at the teeth of the stimulus, they were buying a lot of government bonds. What's a government bond? It's a you – the, you give the federal government a bunch of money and the federal government promises to pay you back, right? So the federal government has an obligation to you, the Federal Reserve – to pay you back for the bond you bought, okay? Of course, the Federal Reserve used printed money to pay for it, okay? And now uh, that bond, let's say it's a five-year bond. It comes due after five years. Do you think the federal government is going to, gonna, you know, pay you the Federal Reserve Bank money? I don't think so. I mean, the Federal Reserve is just is just going to tear that up. Uh, and there's and there's precedent for that. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not greatly worried about, and by the way, this is about, maybe 15% of debt that's owned by the Federal Reserve. So it doesn't change the question. We're going to come right back. Emmett is waiting to visit with you. Several other phone lines open for Dr. Patrick Barkey, uh, director of the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research, just wrapping up his economic uh, uh, impact tour and uh, uh, all, all the things that we had a chance to cover in the first hour. But, hey, uh, if you have a question about uh, some of the things they talked about, give us a call at 721-1290. We'll be back. I always wanted. My name is Teresa Barber. I was in the United States Navy and I served overseas in the Middle East and Africa. Early on in my career, I had a commander that taught our suicide prevention training, and the very next day, he took his own life. 90% of suicide attempts involving a gun are fatal. My way of continuing my service is to help protect my community by being a responsible gun owner and by storing firearms safely. Store all your guns securely. Help stop suicide. Brought to you by N Family Fire and the Ad Council. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. 721 is our number. Dr. Patrick Barkey, our guest here in the studio from the UM's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. Emmett has been waiting all the way through the break. So, Emmett, good morning. You're on Talk Back. Please go ahead, sir. Well, thanks for taking my call. Well, this is about high interest rates. Are you there? You seem to have cut out. He's right here. You there? Yep. Okay, very good. Thing is, the Federal Reserve had to raise interest rates a few times dramatically to get, quote-unquote, the rate of inflation lowered. I'd like to say that it takes it's a longer period of time for that um, loaf of bread to rise. It won't rise as much when you go to the grocery store, but it'll rise some. Now, taking into consideration that if, fa if a family has a mortgage, and I'm not an economist or you know expert or anything like this, but if they have a mortgage or they're paying higher rent or a car loan, they're still having to pay a higher rate. And that eats into this whole inflation thing because they're still paying higher prices for that, even if prices are slowly not increasing as much as the grocery store. So each individual family is paying a lot more than they did in the 80s, and their take-home pay is the same. To me, a healthy economy, we need disinflation, I think. We need to go back to a loaf of bread and, at 50 cents a loaf like it was in the 80s. And because Ronald Reagan, Reaganomics worked, everyone thought Reaganomics is going to kill us. Don't stay the course. We're going off the cliff. 
Well, um, each, you ought to ask each individual household, is my, uh, is my paycheck strong? Do I have a lot of money, in a, even at the end of the month, to pay a whole bunch of bills and Christmas toys at Christmas time and Christmas gifts? I'll bet you, if you ask yourself, were you better in the 80s and 90s than you are now? Ask yourself that. I think I was, even though I'm on fixed income. I mean, you got to ask each individual household how they're faring up with their paycheck, their mortgage, and do they have a lot left over for discretionary spending, like Christmas presents right. and yeah. fun things and good food on the table. If you can answer me those Emmett, questions. Let's, let's ask him. Thanks for the call. Uh, Dr. Barkey, go much. ahead. Oh, there's too many in there to get, get to all of them. I'll just, let's, start, let's start with inflation, okay? So um, it's true what you said about interest rates. So if you go and, and, and take out a loan today, okay, I didn't say pay a loan, but if you take out the loan today, you'll definitely pay a much higher interest rate than had you taken out that loan in 2019. Absolutely. And, of course, that factors into the, you know, the cost of buying a car as you make the payments, especially houses, you know, with the long term. So that's, that's a dramatic impact. It's made all those things less affordable. Couldn't agree with you more. Let's look at a slightly different issue, though. And this, this is going to go a little counter to what you said. And that is uh, you have a loan that you took out in 2019. Okay. You're paying a lower rate. That's true. Okay. But your payment is not adjusted for inflation. So in other words, as inflation is actually your friend, if you owe money, because the money you pay back to pay off your loan is actually worth less. So it's actually cheaper. And that's, that's, an, that's one reason why in inflation uh, brings on higher interest rates, because those who are lending money need you to pay more back because what you're paying back in the higher inflation is worthless. I don't know if you follow that logic, but it's, it's a big difference. Um, some of the things you said about uh, you know, the 80s, 90s, I'm not, I, I, there's so many things to mix into that question and whether Reagan economics worked. I mean, like I say, you got, you got a lot of things in that pot there. Uh, let me get at another thing you mentioned, and it has to do, of course, wages are still the same. That's not true, at least on average. So average weekly wages in Montana in 2022 grew by 9%, okay? That's that's the average. That's just what I said. I mean, the tight labor markets, the super low interest rates. I mean, interest rates are below two percent in some of these major markets, and those wages are not staying the same. Okay, those people are getting raises, and are those raises offsetting inflation? You can argue that, and of course, it does matter. Uh, that that wage doesn't go as far. It's not really nine percent in purchasing power. I understand that, but they're not zero. They're not staying in one place. And neither, uh, I would argue, I don't know if you're on Social Security, but your fixed income quote in Social Security isn't staying in place either. We've had some of the largest increases, again, in nominal cases. Now, I realize that's not always purchasing power, but none of that stuff is staying in place. So I'm not saying inflation is good or inflation is bad, but the story is nowhere simple, as simple as that. Uh, I can't resist but get involved in this 80s versus 90s versus today thing. Well, I I will tell you, uh, having tried to purchase a home in the late 70s and early 80s, we were thrilled to get a State Board of Housing uh, interest rate of 10.8%. I mean, they they were hovering 18, 19% to to purchase a home uh, back back then. Uh, Of course, the the, the price of the house was much, much smaller, obviously. But, uh, yeah, those of us who... Uh, we're just getting into the housing market. Oh, state board of housing, ten point some percent! Yay! I mean, we were dancing in the dancing in the lawn. So, anyway, yeah. 
Well, let me just bring one other factor in the mix because you know that wages and prices and the stuff is. It's difficult to measure, but ultimately it's just arithmetic. You work out the number. <laughs> and by the way, if you do work out the number, on average, our, our so-called inflation-corrected wages are worth more. I realize that's an aggregate statistic. But let's look at a completely different dimension, okay? Uh, again, I'm being a little contrarian here. I don't <laughs> totally disagree with you. But I'm going to push back just to have a little fun, okay? That's great. Go for it. So 80s and 90s, no flat-screen TV. You want to Google something? Sorry, never heard of Google. By right. the way, never heard of computer, never heard of the Internet. Okay, all those things are gone. Microwave, heat up your food, and you can't do that. You know, I mean, there's 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 a huge number. I mean, your car, oh, yeah, your car's got, you know, AM radio, which, of course, you need to listen to KGVO. Thank you. you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you want to listen to music on demand. I mean, there's just a billion things that have changed the quality of life that aren't totally captured in prices. And, you know, I mean, you could argue back to me that we were a more moral nation and then, you know, the, the media wasn't full of people dissing each other and so forth. But, but you know, I, so nobody's going to win that argument. But I'm just saying that it's, uh, that's not that simple of a comparison. Okay, we're going to come right back. We still have Catherine and Jeff wanting to visit with you. Uh, Dr. Patrick Barkey is with us uh, from the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research, answering your questions when we come back. Hey, we're back on Talkback. Uh, we continue now with Dr. Patrick Barkey from the University of Montana's BBER, Bureau of Business and Economic Research. Catherine has been waiting the longest. Hi, Catherine. Go ahead, please. Hey, good morning. Um, I have a weird question, I suppose. I'm curious uh, where you stand on there's There's kind of two basic uh, theories of economics. One is uh, um, F.A. Hayek and the other is Lord Keynes. And I'm I'm wondering uh, who is more important in your mind, uh, whether people work in their own best interests or that, that the government can steer an economy um, like Keynes thought. I'm just curious where you stand on those two theories. Wow, what a great question. <laughs> I wish I was quali- I wish I was qualified to totally answer it because uh, I I'd probably come down somewhere in the middle. But in saying that, that implies that I fully understand everything that Keynes and Hayek wrote, which is not true. I mean, I'm not I'm not a a really in depth scholar in terms of really getting into all the all the meat. But I no, I I definitely captured just what you're saying. I think uh, I think basically. Uh, or, Cain, they're both brilliant people. I'll, I'll say, Keynes, uh, uh, Keynes' um, advice uh, was was not always uh, um, was not always good, but he did jump into uh, you know his 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 career really uh, really took off at a time when uh, you know the capitalist economy didn't appear to be working. You know, I mean, there was there was uh, there was there was little uh, there wasn't really an amen chorus that 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 cheered on. The private market at a time when when people were so many people were out of work and and so many industrialized economies were really failing, and then you looked across the uh, the English Channel and saw these places like Nazi Germany uh, growing like crazy with these authoritarian economies. So uh, you have to have a little thought of the context. So I don't think uh, of the two, I think Hayek's ideas have 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 held up better, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, so I, I guess I land somewhere in the middle, and I, I can kind of tell from your kind of question that you probably have some opinions on this as well. Yeah, yeah, I do. I don't know if you ever saw it, but uh, a few years back there was this wonderful rap battle on uh, YouTube uh, that was put out. 
Did you see that? I heard of it, uh, but no, I didn't see it. Oh, it's and there were a series of three of them. Um, pretty great. I mean, it was a very good encapsulation of uh, of both of the uh, theories of of Hayek and Mies, um and uh, Keynes. So, anyway, I was just curious, uh, you know, where you stood on that. So, thank you. Thanks for the call, Catherine. Appreciate that. All right, let's get uh, Jeff on the line. Jeff, good morning. You're on Talkback with Patrick Barkey. Go ahead, please. Hey, good morning. Uh, just read that uh, Ford is losing almost $65,000 on each electric vehicle it sells. So uh, hope they don't try to make that up in volume. Uh, and uh, But last time you were on, I, uh, I asked about uh, the grid and particularly if electricity was a service or a product. And unfortunately, I think I kind of obfuscated what I was looking for by putting a bunch of facts in there on the length, the size of the grid, and how many power generators and stuff. But but basically, my question centered around, uh, and a good analogy is, is the uh, U.S. highway system. You know, we have the interstate, which is the main arteries throughout the nation that uh, kind of feed... Uh, feed the states and that would kind of be the uh you know the big the big power uh transmission line part of the grid that we have and uh it goes between the different uh uh service areas and then you know on the on the highway system you get down into state and county and uh local and then finally into private roads in a subdivision the, the, a city doesn't care about my roads i have to take care of them myself and so that was kind of the, the nexus of my question centered around the grid providing, is it providing a product or is it providing a service? Because if the grid is providing a service, then it's a monopoly and it needs to be um, looked at in that way. And, and, and I think you said that uh, nobody needs to take responsibility for it as well. And what, from what I've read is that at the beginning, uh, you know, a power generation company will, would own everything from the generator through the grid uh, down to the power line coming into your house. And that made them responsible for everything. And when we came up with a free market, we kind of destroyed that whole model because we fractured who provides what at what point. And at the end, um, you know, uh, my, uh, my local provider up here, Mission Valley Power, it's not responsible for anything coming into the county outside of what it has. You know, if Northwestern fails to back up with their power production, you know, Northwestern isn't responsible for that, that the power will go out. So I don't know if that, if that makes it clear or not. I'm, I'm really kind of looking for, um, should we go back to a, uh, a more uh, kind of a highway type, model where you know the federal government would be responsible for the big lines the big part of the transmission lines and then uh and i'm not one for wanting to federalize things i'm really a private property kind of guy but it just seems like if it's a service the monopoly aspect of the service means that somebody in the public sector needs to be responsible for the big parts of it otherwise nobody is Okay, Jeff, I'm going to ask you to hold because we're up against a break and Patrick is going to uh, is going to uh, answer that when we get back from the break right after this timeout. Thinking about retirement? Make sure my Social Security account is a part of your plan. 
A My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal earnings history and benefit status. You can find out if you're eligible to receive benefits, compare retirement benefit estimates at different ages or dates, view spousal benefit estimates, and more. Plan for your future. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Hey, we are back on Talk Back. Dr. Patrick Barkey's with us in the studio from the University of Montana's Bureau of Business and Economic Research. Kind of a, an involved question regarding the grid from Jeff, and he's still on the line. So I know you had a chance to chew on a little bit, uh, Patrick. So uh, uh, what, what's your response? I try, tried to run out the door, Peter, but it's, but it's locked. <laughs> we know? tackled him. <laughs> so no, I, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, listen, I, I, I can't really address your entire question, but let me try to put a few things out there just to clarify things. So um, the argument for having someone big do anything, whether it's make cars or, or manage the grid, is something economists call economies of scale. So in other words, if you can do something more cheaply by making it very, very large. And so, you know, um, it's, it's better, we, we think, it's better that we have a single power line going down our street rather than have five different companies, each with their own power line going down the street, right? I mean, that's sort of the, so the idea is let's grant the right to do that to one company because it would be ridiculously expensive to have all this duplicate capacity, uh, you know, but the price you pay for that efficiency is when you have a lack of competition, you have a loss of pricing, you have a loss of, uh, you no longer have this force to keep prices down to cost. You have a monopoly situation, monopolists can raise prices more. So that's that trade-off. Okay. Isn't, that, isn't that where government regulation comes in? Well, in government regulation, do people think that's a solution? That, that's just a different kind of problem, okay. right? I mean, a government regulation... And, you know, historically, uh, it has the promise of controlling that. Right. But the reality is government regulation is gigantic overhead cost to the industry. Uh, it gets very political. Uh, lots of times the company being regulated captures the regulator, and it becomes this happy marriage where both the regulator and the company are happy and the customers are not. So it's it's not – there's no benevolent regulator out there, but that's – you took me away from my main – Sorry, thread. sorry, sorry. But you're right. So that's so that's the thought, and that's why uh, grids are owned uh, – you know, not, not totally, but the grid is owned by a smaller number of people. Now, getting back to the question of, of product or service, I'm not even going to go there. I don't understand why a service means it's monopoly, but maybe you can explain that to me in a future call. But uh, the point I'm, I would make is that from an engineering point of view – Okay, uh, the management of the grid is also carried out by a small number of players. There is something called a, a, a balancing authority, I believe is the terminology. And every part of the country is divided up into a fairly small number of balancing authorities. I believe the state of Montana has actually two balancing authorities. One is Northwestern, which, by the way, is independent of its role in terms of serving customers with power and gas. And the other one, I think, is Bonneville, or I, I can't remember what the other balancing authority is, but that's not important. The thing is, is that that balancing authority is responsible for matching the demand for power, the supply for power, on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. And they have the power to, to for example, order uh, you know, participants who are generators and so forth to make adjustments in what, they, what they're feeding in and taking out of the grid. So uh, that's a sense in which the management 
is 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 going to be much more efficient for an electrical system, which is, by the way, governed really by physics, not so much by economics. So uh, I, I think, uh, again, I can't do justice to all aspects of your question, but I think that's the, uh, I think going back to a system of vertical integration, which is the jargon word I would use to describe what you're talking about, where a single entity owns all of the power grid right from the generator right down to the to the wire that attaches to your house there's a certain elegance to that but i think historically it's been shown that we don't need that level of uh of 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 monopoly to to achieve the benefits of the pieces of of the electrical grid that benefit from the so-called economies of scale so um, boy, I mean, you ask an involved question, and, and I, it took, I, I think I counted 24 different breaths of air I had to use to answer it. So right. I don't know if that's going to satisfy either listeners or you, but that's, a, that's my take on it. Well, Jeff, uh, th- thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, let's get, uh, I believe, uh, Ted is on the line. Oh, we have an app question. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, uh, from Joel, he said, uh, Governor Gianforte solicited the firearms industry at the industry trade show in Vegas to convince businesses to move to the state. Is Montana effective at recruiting manufacturing businesses to relocate here? And should the state do more to prepare a future workforce? Well, let me just say that you know our leader, Governor Gianforti, when he was in the private sector, was pretty successful at recruiting workers to come to Montana. I mean, his company right now that he grew, of course it's gone, it's now Oracle, uh, but that, that company, I mean, he had some really innovative ways of getting, especially Montanans who had moved away, to come back. So he knows a few things. And, of course, state government has been doing that for quite a while. Um, look, here's, here's the situation. Every state is doing this, all right? So, in other words, if we didn't, then we're sort of like last in the class by definition because everyone else is doing it. We're not. You, you know, we need to make our pitch. So it's not like we're not doing it. Or, quite frankly, uh, you know, we can always do it more effectively. Uh, the question is, is two-pronged. How well are we doing it? And what kind of soap are we selling, shall we say? So what can we tell employers that will convince them that we're a good place? And that's, of course, part of the pitch, right? So I think in terms of that industry that you mentioned, firearms industry, in a way it fits Montana pretty well uh, because it's typically small-scale manufacturing. And by the way, there already is a pretty good sized firearm industry in a couple different pieces of parts of the state. So it's, it's a, uh, it, it seems like an effective, uh, you know, that, that, that's sort of, uh, you know, what, what would they say? Uh, not to use like, the only word I can come to mind. Unfortunately, it's the firearms industry, a target rich environment, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm, right. but that's a, a situation where, you know, that would seem to be well put. I, you know, I, I think the other uh, kinds of things you can effectively target, you know, we, we just don't have the resources to, to, and we don't have, you know, a, a Madison Avenue budget to run splashy Super Bowl ads or something on Montana. But I think we, we, we have to and we, we continue to. Uh, we, we need to be in the game of doing that. And I think we are. So, well, I know every, every, once a month we have uh, we have econ what we call uh, Missoula Econ 101 with the Mon- uh, Missoula Economic Partnership, and uh, I, I, it amazes me that Grant and, and all all of his staff have these amazing ways of uh, you know contacting businesses, you know uh, showing them the best parts of Missoula and 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 basically closing the deal many times on bringing uh, industries and businesses into Missoula, and that's that's huge. Well, I wish more people could see the world from someone like Grant's perspective 
because when you have to sell your community to some very skeptical investors who ask you some very hard questions of things where you can't just gloss over and give them a couple sound bites and, you know, a few billboard splashy statements. They want to know nuts and bolts. Uh, can they get electricity? You know, the workforce, what the transportation corridors, you know, the every kind of issue. And, and when you answer that question, you're, you're competing. It's like you're on a test and all the other people taking the test are your, your competitor communities. So it's uh, it really helps you. Uh, see the advantages and, quite frankly, the disadvantages of your community in a way that is honest and also, you know, really pivotal for, for and, you know, where the economy is going to go. And with that, we're up against another break. We do have uh, uh, a we have Ted standing by? Yep. Okay, we have Ted standing by right after this break. It's a one-minute timeout, Ted, so we'll only take 60 seconds and be right back. Today on hey-, hey, welcome back, everybody, uh, to talk back. Uh, just about oh, five more minutes uh, left in our time together with Dr. Patrick Barkey. Ted's been very patient. Ted, good morning. You're on Talk Back. Uh, go ahead, please. Uh, doctor, I love the way that you go to a town or a city or a county or whatever, and you predict our future. And they tell them, oh, you've only got 1% growth, and they hate it. But I don't love that they hate it, but I love that you tell them so that they can get ahead of their future. And I also love that you acknowledge the death of globalism. And I hope that you predict the growth of uh, American manufacturing. I think that's kind of what you were getting at there. Um, And that's still 10 to 15 years out, but it is in my future. And I also predict the future and I'm never wrong. And What I predict is that the Texas Triangle will be the number one biggest economic growth in the world, have more millionaires per square mile than Butte, Montana could have ever imagined. And that if you are looking for a future economic, um, you know, gain, that this would be the region to, uh, to do that in, if you could speak on that region thank you very much all right thanks for the call all right so he's never wrong so texas triangles that's austin houston dallas i believe i believe so yeah that would make sense yeah well it's certainly uh it's on a pretty good trajectory down there they have a issue down there called summer um (laughs) so i think that uh could be a fly in the ointment uh but i'm not i uh you know i'm not sure i would bet either way on that but uh uh, by the way, speaking of growth, I, I, by the way, I, I kind of mourn the loss of globalism. I, it's not gone yet, by the way, and I would say thank goodness for that. Um, you know, globalism is what uh, gave us uh, lots of lots of affordable things that we enjoy very quietly. We enjoy them. We put them in our shopping carts and we go home and we use them. Uh, I'm not quite as optimistic about the growth of American manufacturing as you are, but, uh, you know, I think certainly American manufacturing is uh, – is changing, but if you think we're going back to the days of of uh, washing machines rolling off assembly lines in in uh, Pontiac, Michigan, or someplace, you know, I uh, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, but that's uh, you know that's we'll see we we'll see who's right and who's wrong, and I guess we both better take care of our own bodies <laughs> as we go forward, so we can uh, we can settle the argument. So uh, I guess that's what I would say. Um, not sure what to say about your prediction of growth, but it's interesting. All right, let's get Dave on the line. Dave, good morning. You're on with Dr. Patrick Barkey. Go ahead, please. 
Yeah, how much credit can a president take for the stock market going up? And uh, uh, I'm curious, what kind of blame should a president get for if the economy goes down or the stock market goes down? Okay, economy and stock market, two different things, right? Stock right. market, stock market's clearly a a daily. It's like taking your pulse, right? I mean, like I can tell you what it is now, and then thirty seconds, I can tell you what it's like then. You know, so it's instantaneous, and of course, it reacts to all kinds of things. And uh, so, I, I I think the general movement in the market might be a better comparison. So, uh, you know, the fact that the stock market is is pretty high right now, which by the way is a little scary because it looks a little overpriced to many of us, but uh, you know, I think that's probably got more to do with the management of the economy, which is not the president's bailiwick uh, per se. Uh, I think it has more to do with the Federal Reserve policy and also, you know, fundamental conditions. You know, what how the economy is running and so forth. So, stock market's one thing. Uh, I, I think the answer there is it can be driven. Uh, the economy itself, though, is is a, is a different animal. We get less less readout, less instantaneous measurement on it. I think the economy it consists of, quite honestly, the efforts of you know the roughly 230 million working people and uh, how many companies, and so it, the economy has to do with uh, most mostly things outside the president's control. Now, the big asterisk on what I said is presidents are very capable of making things go down. Okay. Bad decisions, uh, malaise, uh, things that are unresolved, markets want resolved, uh, that can make people very sour and the economy can suffer. The go up, though, is is a little bit taller tale, and I don't give them that much credit, quite frankly. But during a political season, right? Uh, now, Dave, I'm sorry. I, oh, Dave, Dave's, Dave's gone. Okay. Are you still there? Oh, I'm I, I'm, I'll go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That, go ahead. Just to say that, you know, I've got a little money in the stock market, so I'm happy the stock market's going up. So I guess it's perspective where you're at. Well, I'm happy it's gone up, too. I mean, I, I like opening those envelopes and seeing bigger numbers in them and so forth. But uh, I don't uh, worry too much about Joe Biden's impact on that. I'm more worried about, you know, if, if you're talking day-to-day uh, fluctuations in the market. It all has to do with, you know, whether the bubble of expectations is growing or it's popped. And, uh, you know, that's there's a lot of things involved in that, as I'm sure you know. All right. Thanks for the call, Dave. Appreciate it. All right. So we have about a minute left in our time together. So what's coming up on tomorrow's fabulous show there, Mr. Nick? Yeah, tomorrow, kind of a busy day. Uh, from eight to nine, we're going to talk with uh, James Brown. He's the Public Service Commission president. A uh, lot, lot of things to talk about with him. And then uh, Monica Trinnell, uh, she will join us from 9 to 9.30. was going to be 9 to 10, but little scheduling issue uh, came up. So only a half hour with Monica. So get your calls in uh, early and often. And <laughs> yeah, and then we'll do open phones from 9.30 to 10. All right. So thanks. Oh, th thanks for doing it. Uh, Nick's the producer. He's got to juggle all those things. And uh, so we appreciate that. Uh, Patrick, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. And where, where can we read uh, reports about your, your work? Where do we find it? Well, I think the place to go is our webpage, uh, bber.umt.edu. And you can learn what we did at the seminars as well as our pubs. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank All you. right. Get out there and enjoy the day. And we'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 with Ace on Montana Morning.